You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Deborah Grabian. She's the author of the Haunted Ballad series and the J.D. Kincaid in the J.P. Kincaid series. Thank you for joining me, Deborah. You bet. My pleasure to be here. Deborah, you combine elements of mystery and with some fantasy elements. Why? How do you judge when you want to do that? What makes you say this is a fantasy-oriented story? Well, actually, I don't. Um, basically, as, as a writer, I'm in the service to the story, and it tells me. Um, with the haunted ballads, I write a lot about music. And with the haunted ballads, each of those titles, um, The Weaver and the Factory Maid, The Famous Flower of Serving Men, Maddie Groves, which is a very famous one, Cruel Sister, and New Slay Night are all classic child ballads. And it occurred to me that those, as I was writing the first one, I was writing a ghost story, and it occurred to me that they're bardic songs in the bardic tradition. They tell a story. They're not Ooh Baby Baby or Oh I Love Someone So Much. There's a story in there. Kind of like the modern concept of spin. You're only getting one person's POV on that song. What if that's not what actually happened? So what that led to was the haunted ballads in which um, uh, Ringin, Rupert Lane, who was known as Ringin, who is a Scotsman, a guitar player, has a band called Broomfield Hill and a theatrical producer, longstanding girlfriend named Penny, um, finds himself in a haunting, and the only way to get rid of this particular haunting entity, is to find out the truth behind the song, what actually happened. Um, And that goes through all five books. Now, they're not, I mean, they can be read individually, but like any of my series, they really are a chronicle. I mean, one picks up where the last one left off. You can pick up the fourth one and be fine, you know, not having read the, the first three, but you'll probably want to go back and read the first three because everything flows into into the next one. Um, with the standalones, again, it, it's it's the story, the, the concept of a serial killer in Still Life with Devils who may or may not be human and a painter who can walk into her own paintings. Or it's just like I, these were characters that I saw and said, okay, everything I write is character-driven. I'm going to take them, put them on a road, and say, go that way point toward the end of the road and say, go that way. I'm going to follow them down, and they're going to tell me what their journey is, and I'm going to write about it. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> it interests me. The The ballad uh, series interests me. It must have, have require quite a bit of research to find out the stories behind the ballads and when they were written. And, and you called them child ballads. I don't think you meant that they were for children. What do you mean by that? No. Child was well, Francis J. Child is the premier collector of traditional music in the British Isles, not just England, but a very high percentage come from Scotland. Uh, some are Cornish, some are even from the from the north of France, sort of Bre- uh, Breton, uh, and from Wales as well. England and Scotland provide most of them. There are quite a few Irish ones, but uh, his name was Francis J. Child. The collection is there in five volumes. They've recently come out in paperback, which is a good thing because they were out of print for 30 years, and if you wanted one volume, they were running about $600 a pop. <laughs> um, there are other classic collectors of, of, of you know British music in different versions, but the child ballads themselves, he has... You will have 16 different versions of, of the same song as interpreted from different sections of the world and sometimes you get them over here cruel sister which um 
um, Pentangle had an, actually was, a, was an album title and, and an album side in the 60s. There is a, a wonderful American version of it called The Dreadful Wind and Rain, which Jerry Garcia and David Grisman recorded. Uh, it's the same song with the you know, same story, same song, same exact. And except one of them is a, is a you know, a, a, a border ballad from, from Scotland. One of them is Appalachian. And then, of course, you have Martin Carthy and Dave Swarbrick with Brass Monkey doing um, a song called The Bows of London, which is the English version, same song. Um, different melody entirely, but the same story. So, if you don't even have one, you know, one steady version, then you know you're, you're not getting everybody's POV. So I got to play with it, with the given song, and 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 do that. And I so I have I have massive collections. I do know a lot about the music because I've been into it for forty years. <laughs> so, uh, have you, are you a musician yourself? Yes, I am. What do you play and what do you sing? Well, um, songwriter, lyricist. Um, these days, because I have multiple sclerosis and the hands don't work as well as they used to, um, I stick to guitar. Uh, we have 13 of them on stands in the house and several more that are in their cases just because there's no floor room. But I'm also married to a bass player, a very good one. And, uh, you know, we've, we've played together since basically since we met. That's how we met in 1976. These days I say guitar, but in my day I have played God, I've played piano badly. Um, I can play bass. I have played my first instrument was harpsichord, um, organ. I wish I could play violin. My father was a fiddler, but it, I've never been able to, to deal with the, the high frequency in, in the ear. just makes me nuts. So these days, we'll just call me a guitar player and a lyricist and go from there. Tell us about um, the locations, because uh, clearly the uh, Still Life with Devils was set here in Northern California. Are all your stories set here? No, not at all. Um, Location for me is a character. It is. It is. Is it is in any any location I use is an integral part of such an integral part of that given story that it's a character unto its own right. So yes, locations. Um, basically, the Kincaid Chronicles, J.P. Kincaid, the new series. He is a he's an accession man and now basically member of a world class band. He is a, an ex Londoner who lives in San Francisco. Um, the haunted ballads take place in and around the UK. And mostly, you know, England, northern England, um, the last one, New Slay Night, is almost entirely in Cornwall. Yes, I am encroaching on Daphne du Maurier's territory, but she, she is still the goddess of Cornwall. Um, so, and and uh, in um, and then put out the light, she travels. I mean, it, it. we start in San Francisco where she lives. She actually lives in the East Bay. Um, it moves to Greece and, and you know, the, the hills around Delphi and Heraklion. Uh, from there to Rome, from Rome down to Herculaneum, from there to England, and from England, the last third of the book takes place in France, which is a country that I know and love and I'm very familiar with. And again, the location just it just soaks through because it is location is I think and should be in any good any good book should be a character unto itself. Well, that's fascinating. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, when you decide something standalone and when it fits into the series. Ah. Yeah, that's that's one of those. Um, you honestly never know. You really don't until you're there. I wrote The Weaver and the Factory Maid um, and Rock and Roll Never Forgets, which are, you know, uh, respectively the, the first Haunted Ballad and the first J.P. Kincaid Chronicle as standalones. That's what I thought. Um, with with uh, with the Kincaids, which are just the books of my heart, I wrote the first one, 92,000 words, in 29 days, and said, okay, it's my midlife crisis book, bleeding this book, I needed to write it, and two days later I had started While My Guitar Gently Weeps, and I finished that in 33 days. That comes out this September, St. Martin's Press. Um, with The Weaver and the Factory Maid, 
Um, it had been percolating for a while, and I think halfway through that one, I thought, you know what? I think if this gets bought, I'm I'm going to turn this. This feels like a series. This feels like I, I want more of these characters. I want them to go down that road. And the haunted ballads. The first one is 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 very. It's fairly light. It's it's a very sweet book. It's a setup book. You know, the there's there's nothing. The only the only thing dangerous about the ghosts is the fact that they're unnatural. I mean, they're. But as 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 the books go along, uh, the the hauntings are a little more perilous. I mean. We have, by the time we get to Maddie Groves in the third one, they're literally dealing with an incubus. And he is vicious and unpleasant, and it tackles the question of whether or not, in fact, what we think of as, as demons, you know, or evil spirits or whatnot, are actually just horrible, miserable, totally tight little human beings who are so crappy and disgusting in real life they have nowhere to go but down. You know, no redemption. That, that, that sort of leathery, hideous is basically their personality showing. So, you know, I, I saw that one as a series halfway through the first book. I knew that was going to, I could see me taking them further and further down that road. Well, this is very fascinating. Now, tell me about um, your, your publishing. You're working with a small press publisher. Tell us about uh, Droll Early Press. Well, I've got, it's, it's interesting. At the moment, I actually have uh, work with four publishers. And they run the gamut. Um, just to, to get the big ones out of the way, uh, the, the Kincaid Chronicles and the Haunted Ballads are on uh, St. Martin's Thomas Dunn Minotaur, which is their, their mystery imprint. Um, I'm in an anthology called For Keeps, which is nonfiction, which is a book of essays about women dealing, talking, women authors talking about, you know, aging, health, etc. Um, and that one's with Seal Press, which is a nice, solid little press across the bay in Berkeley. Um, Egmont, which is a young adult publisher, the oldest uh, existing young adult publisher. They were a Dutch company. They've been uh, in the UK as well for years. Just opened Egmont USA. Um, I am in spring 2010, Dark in the Park, which does have a fantasy element to it. It's um, narrated by a, uh, an abandoned cat in Golden Gate Park having to learn how to sort of survive and trust and who to trust and forming friendships and alliances. And then, we, of course, we have the incursion of coyotes into the park, which we've really had. So this is from our experience as cat rescuers. We're out in Golden Gate Park every night, no matter what the weather is, and we have been for 10 years. So we know the night world of the park, and we know the people who live there, and we, we know the animals, and we know what is there and what isn't. Uh, and there's, there are ghosts in the park, so there's quite a, a strong fantasy element to that. Um, and Drollery has these two of mine and two of my short, you know, two of my short stories, um, fiction pieces as well. Drollery is the brainchild of Dina Fisher. Now, Dina, her husband is with the library, the, the, the Greater Cleveland Library System, and it, it is a big library system. This Cleveland, Ohio, huge system. Uh, Dina has a love of books, and she has a talent for picking out what's going on where. And when she wanted to start Drollery. Uh, she approached me and she said, what would it take to get you to give me Still Life of the Devils? And I said, nothing. You want it? Absolutely, sure. Because I think that in the end, with the current economic model and the fact that the mainstream houses really are not adapting to what they need to do, you know, it's like, guys, as, as handsome and as, as literary cred as much, because I'm a literary writer, as much cred as it is to have the 2495 hardback on the shelf, Ask any bookstore owner, they'll tell you they can't sell them. You know, in this economy, if you can buy the book as a six ninety five paperback or as a $25 hardback, unless you're a collector, you're going for paper. And trade paper, which is what Drillery is put, putting out with, with Michael's book and with mine, um, 
hits that, that price point and that gamut beautifully. It's in the mid-range pricing. It's still affordable. They're beautiful covers. You know, and Dina has what I wish I saw more of in the publishing industry these days. She has a huge amount of integrity, and she's really dedicated to getting this to work, you know. A lot of what they do is, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're what she calls transformative fiction. So there's magic realism, there's fantasy, there's horror, there's, you know, anything with the element of what you can't see. Um, they do a lot of e-publishing, you know, uh, you know so for, you know, novellas and short stories. But for the print novels, my job, basically my responsibility when I, when I gave them the book was to get them on the map because I was an established author with a lot of literary cred. I mean, Publishers Weekly reviews everything I write. You know, Kirkus reviews everything I write, and they like me, which is almost unheard of. They don't like anybody. Um, Library Journal keeps starring my books, and they called Rock and Roll Never Forgets was their lead mystery of the summer. It was their big beach read. So, yeah, and School Library Journal loved me. Book list reviews everything I do. So it's like, yes, Publishers Weekly reviewed Still Life when it came out, and they loved it. They wanted a sequel. So, you know, my job was to help get them on the map. And, you know, in return, I, you know, I got, I got them to, to put out just a wonderful edition of a book that I'm very fond of. And that just, because it, it's so not straight genre, you know, a mainstream publisher wasn't going to be able to do anything with it, you know. Um, I honestly do think that, that small presses may be the future of publishing, especially in the age of the Internet. I mean, they have... Publishers are going to have to adapt to that or they're just going to fold. We've been seeing mainstream publishing has been imploding the last couple of weeks. It's been nightmarish. You have editors who are, you know, and, and, and you know, staff who are, who are friends at some of the main houses have just lost their jobs. You know, a couple of the big houses have just, you know, Random House, HarperCollins just got rid of the Collins. <laughs> they are no longer HarperCollins. They're now just Harper because they folded Collins and a bunch of editors lost their jobs. And they're going to have to adapt. They're in a terrible economy and, you know, at the moment, they have they have they have the history and they have the distribution, which is in their favor. I'd like to see more small presses out there. I'd like to see a return. Yes, I'm an agented author. I'd like to see a return to publishers where you can go over the transom with it and have them read it. You know, yes, and they can do that. I've been speaking with Deborah Grabian. Her newest book is Still Life with Devils. Thank you for joining me, Deborah. You bet. Actually, the the newest book on drollery, the recent, the, the current one, is and then put out the light. On drollery. Still Life came out first and then put out the light. Just came out in January. Thank you for joining me, Deborah. Thank you. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.